Welcome, everyone, to episode 36 of the Wi-Fi Pioneers podcast. We are your hosts, Colt and Remington. Say hi, Remy. Hey, what's up, guys? Today, guys, we are admittedly going to be all over the place in our topics, mostly until we just either run out of time or brain power. Uh, before we hit record on this one, we're going over the various things we wanted to talk about, and we have just bunch of random stuff. Some of it is work from home related. Some of it's uh, money related. Another is just, just general problems related. And uh, there's no easy way to flow them all together. So we're going to begin with a rant on boomers. And then I'm just going to make a series of hard shifts to the next topic uh, until we run out of uh, time or brain power. So Remy, as always, give us your, uh, your current rant on boomers. <laughs> well, <laughs> saw the pants this week uh and just again astounded by the sheer stupidity like it just really drove home the point to me that being a boomer is brain damage <laughs> and yeah there's plenty of boomers my age right boomers in mentality but by and large uh it's exemplified by the boomer generation uh just blown away by how they see the world it's, it's almost like the complete inversion of how to be successful in life um, they've completely hollowed out the country and, and there's no explaining anything to them because it's just, it's a complete, it's a complete inversion of their ability to perceive reality. For example, I've been working on my stepdad for a while about the Federal Reserve and money printing and how evil that is and how, how there's no legitimate moral way you can justify devouring the hours of somebody's life that they spent trading for a wage that they then had to buy securities with to save their money. Uh, and then the Federal Reserve can just go buy those securities with printed money <laughs> that they printed out of thin air. They can print, they can steal the time of your life. Uh, anyway, so I've been working on him for a while on that. And it's just amazing that it's such a, such a bizarre topic for him to get his head around. But you can see as you, as you watch his facial expressions when I'm explaining it, you can see it land somewhere. Like deep down as a man, well, I should say as a male, <laughs> uh, Deep down somewhere, he knows there's something wrong with it, but he can't put his finger on it because he's so heavily brainwashed by feminism and he's so browbeat by my mom that uh, that he he's not allowed to have any opinions that differ from the mainstream or differ from the popular consensus. And so he's you can just see the internal cognitive dissonance going on. Um, <laughs> it's just brain damage. But the other thing is, I was talking to another buddy uh, a couple days ago, and he said. Uh, he said something, I didn't lead him into this conversation, even though I've said this specific thing before on this podcast. Uh, he goes, when I became a dad, I, I thought that I, it would make me understand my parents more. People told me that. You won't understand your parents until you have kids. But once he had kids, it was the opposite. He understood his parents less because they were so fucking pathetic and so weak and terrible. And he's like, I understand them less and less. And I, I just am disgusted by them every day. Uh, that's, that's what it meant to become a parent. So this is like, we, there's a common thing we threw out several of our podcasts where we talk about the millennial generation having to teach itself how to be grownups. Uh, and a lot of them will never make it right. A lot of them just never choose to have families, never choose to have real responsibility or take any kind of hard jobs. They've got all these lazy girl jobs or, or, you know, all these stupid admin jobs that fill out the bureaucracy, but, um, but the ones who do the ones who do endeavor to go through that and become men are becoming like Superman and realizing that we're 10 times what our parents were. Our parents were the worst generation in American history. So uh, that was my boomerang. 
Has there in history ever been a nation so on the verge of success, just waiting for certain people to die to achieve that success? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> I, the other thing that, that jumped out at me is just the, um, the viciousness and disgust that I see that my mom has for my stepdad because of his weaknesses and inability to be a man and, uh, and his like worship of her. And, and what's the word? Um, what, what's the word when you pledge fealty to a king or uh, uh, something, something to that effect. It's just amazing how, how badly they screwed up the natural order and the successful order and the entire foundation and, and inherited traditions and cultural capital civilizational capital that they inherited as boomers and destroyed in a single generation it just blows my mind but that's that's i think what's what's uh, programmed into my mom's dna somewhere is she knows that weak men are the reason for all of this <laughs> and she just reviles them <laughs> it's yeah god it's so funny that you're mentioning that you're seeing that today because what you just described was my childhood in the 90s so my parents were divorced well before it was popular to get divorced, right? So uh, it was so uncommon to get divorced that um, I had to see a school counselor regularly just because it was like me and three other kids in the school of several hundred had divorced parents and like nobody else did at that time. That's how, how ahead of the curve my parents were. And uh, my mother was one of the original feminists who just despise weak men. But being an insane feminist, weak men were the only ones who would date her. So every single boyfriend she's ever had from the time she was divorced in the, the 80s all the way till today has been a weak, pathetic man. And she has treated them with the utter disgust that weak men deserve. And it's just, it's so funny because she can't figure out the common link, which is her. And, you know, that, that disgust you're, you're seeing now, I grew up seeing that, um, seeing my mother treat men that way. And here's... <laughs> Again, the funny thing is some women will settle for beta males. Your mother did. And they, they despise them. My mother has such a chip on her shoulder. She will not, and now she's in her 60s, and she will not date one of these weak beta males anymore. Nor, and she's got this whole list of standards that uh, you know all crazy women have. No drinkers, no smokers, no can't be shorter than her, all, all the, the, the typical things. So she'll die alone. She's going to die alone. And... For her, that is apparently better than being with a weak man who's willing to have her. And that's the thing that these women are missing. Um, you know, make that whole thing about um, whether they're making themselves into the men they want to date or whatever that, that phrase is. They, um, by feminizing all the men, they're setting themselves up to either live a marriage of disgust like your mother or to die alone like my So take your pick ladies you know if you if you, you want to keep feminizing men and keep encouraging men not to be masculine this is your future is it really that good yeah i, I complex systems have self-correcting mechanisms right especially when they've arisen over long periods of time like several thousand years <laughs> like in civilization and uh what what we're seeing is the pathetic males are no longer getting access to breeding right women's innate programming is solving the problem that feminism and prosperity created so it's just, it's a self-correcting mechanism. Uh, and I, I just remember what you were saying about uh, counseling. I, I was in that same boat. I, uh, my parents divorced when I was a little tyke. And I remember being forced to go to counseling at the school because of it. 
which was confusing to me. And, and there was nobody else, as you said, there was nobody else with divorced parents. Um, but uh, it's, I, I didn't realize that until you mentioned it. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it happened in grade school. So I can't, I remember going, but I, I don't remember if anything was effective. I don't, I, I can't tell if it was good, bad, or, or a neutral thing. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to just go study the data on that now because I can't remember one way or the other if it had any positive or negative at all. I just remember that it was a thing. Um, yeah. The other thing I was talking to my buddy about was um, this, the current state of girls in dating. So like the early 20s girls who, um, you know, they all look the same. They're all like, a buck 50, buck 60 in the prime of their life, right? Uh, it's never going to get better for them. <laughs> so they're, they're going to be 200 before they have kids, <laughs> if they have kids. Um, but also that their, their body counts are now like well north of 50 by that age. And just oh like, God. just like a That's piece of tape that you've, that you've stuck to too many surfaces, you know, like their ability to pair bond is just ruined forever on top of the, um, the, uh, digital meth they've been taking in the form of all these social media apps, right? Uh, and how addicted they are to immediate attention. So what he said was they, their thing now is you don't even talk to them in the bar. You don't even talk to them in public. You talk to them for three sentences and then they say, they say, what's your snap or what's your, you know, whatever your social media is. And then they walk away and they look you up and that's how they check out if you're legit, whether you're worth hanging out with. And if they, if you are, then they, they hit you up through the app and you might hang out some other time, but at the time, they're too busy. Well, you know, once they've sorted through you, then they go on to the next person and sort through the next person, sort through the next person. So the entire process is just a lead generation process, and they're quickly sorting in you into follow up with later or don't follow up with at all. And then over the next week, you know, she'll figure out whether she's going to bang you or not. God, that's insane. There's just so much of what you said there that's absolutely insane. Like for men and women, there is an upper limit to how many people you can sleep with before your marriage is not, you know, a marriage will not work for you. Um, it's, it's something like three times as many men can sleep with three times as many women before he's, he's going to, he's guaranteed to have a bad marriage. Like so it's something like a certain body, a certain number of bodies equals a greater than 80% divorce rate. Right. I, I don't remember the exact numbers. Um, waiting for chat GPT to become reliable again. So it could just answer these questions quickly for me, but um, it's something like that. And whatever the, the hard number is for men, it's three times that of women. Now, when a woman has a, a body count in the dozens or above 50, like forget it, she's wrong for life. There's, there, there's no coming back from that. She, the, her only hope is to, you know, proclaim herself a born again, Christian, and then find somebody, one of her only fans, fans to uh, marry and pay for her while she dreams of days of, of being railed by actual alpha males. Like that's, that's horrible. If, I, I don't know what the bounce back is for that. If you do the math, some of these dudes are, they must be racking up hundreds of chicks a year. <laughs> Cause you, you know, those chicks aren't sleeping with the bottom 50% of men, probably not even the bottom 60, 70% of men. They're all going to the top 20, 30, 40%. And uh, um, yeah, some of them, they may stick with longer than others. But that's dude, just the math. Like, uh, oh, the other thing my buddy said was, I didn't lead him into any of this, right? He's like, oh, man, harems are real and they are happening fast. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. And it's, it's and, and the data is becoming clear on this. It is the top 10% of men. So if you have like, uh, just say in a given city, you've got a, a thousand men, 
that are the top men of that city that you know the, all the women are swiping right for those thousand men are banging you know 10,000 or 100,000 women you know between all of them right so one, one dude in that category is banging 100 or 200 girls a year easily because that bottom 90% of men that are single they're not having any sex they're just not having any whatsoever uh, and it may not be the bottom 90 it's definitely the, the lower 50 is having none but that that 50 to 90% range of, of mid tier men they're struggling to the meet girls too so yeah it is these top guys are banging all the women and through a combination of feminism and then access to the internet and just insanity women have convinced themselves that this is better than marrying a, a man who's emotionally stable still fit still attractive just not you know with a body count in the thousands it, uh, it yeah. really surprises me when i see you know just a decent young dude like 20 22 years old decent shape on the, on the right track in life. And he's like, I, I rarely get a date. I rarely get a girlfriend. Cause I, I'm, I'm not into the Tinder thing. I'm not into uh, all the social media apps. I'm trying to find a, a woman to marry or a chick to marry. And, and he's literally just starved. And, uh, and these are dudes who would be great fathers who would be, you know, great assets to the country, have great careers and, uh, and, you know, people that their descendants would look up to and, and uh, respect. And they're literally just getting starved out. I mean, I, I, I know this is a common theme and I know this is well understood because you see it all the time on Twitter and you hear it coming up in statistics and such. So you see the big, you know, like the, the averages and stuff moving pretty fast. That means a lot is happening at the margin. But what's amazing to me is how much I'm seeing it in the trenches, in, in our everyday lives, in real anecdotes, in real time. Like, holy crap, there's five chicks plastered to that dude. Uh, Wow. And they don't want anybody else around them. They just want that guy. Um, or just how many, <laughs> how many girls are completely incapable of processing genuine uh, male respect and attention? Well, and it's also, in fairness, for, for what I, whatever that phrase is worth, some of these women don't know they're part of a harem, right? They're date, they think they're dating a guy and they don't know that they're exclusive with him. I couldn't tell you what percentage it is. I don't think anybody actually knows that for sure. But there are some women, they'll you'll have five girls dating the same guy, not knowing that there's four other women involved in this. But what scares me more is when they do know that there's other women and they're sticking around anyways. Like that's not necessarily new. You know, you, for as far back as you go, just just listen to country music songs from the eighties and early nineties, and it's women talking about dating a guy who's sleeping with all the women in town. Like building harems like that is nothing new but the fact that it's becoming so normalized now for certain women that they'd rather still be you know banged by this guy once a week than actually be with a guy exclusively because they've, they've built him up to be uh you know top tier man it's just it's insane what they put up with uh, yeah I, I don't know what the well actually I, I don't know what the solution for that is except i kind of do in a tongue-in-cheek way is that uh made medically assisted medical assistance and dying the, the assisted suicide that's going to wind up being the solution for this because this that's how this shit is going to play out once these women are no longer in their 20s and hot once they're worn out in their 40s and 50s and nobody will have them it's going to be pills peanut butter boxed wine and a date with the uh the maid representative exactly and what's astounding is how many guys i talk to who are coming to this conclusion on their own Right. It's not even something that I'm suggesting to them. They're like, 
I'm seeing a lot of chicks out there who are, who have nowhere to go. Their their life is basically over, and it seems like the only solution is going to be made medically assisted suicide. Um, to your point, that the funny thing happened to me a few days ago. Actually, I was out in public, and I try not to go out in public much because I just hate it. But um, <laughs> I was out in public, and uh, this girl comes up to me, and uh, and she's like trying to talk to me, trying to like get my number or something, and uh, and she. <laughs> And she's like, how old are you? And, uh, and at first I told her 50 and she's like, shut up. Uh, and she's like, seriously, how old are you? And, uh, she thought I was 10 years younger than I am. And, uh, um, the funny thing was as soon as she found out my real age, she was like floored and she's like, ah, you guys are so lucky you age so well. Um, and, and I was also like, yeah, guess what? When I was 20, nobody gave a damn about me. And I was scrapping and fighting for every inch in life. And the, you know, the progress came in inches and the setbacks came in miles. And there was nobody there to be like, oh, here, you know, I'll help you up. Uh, whereas every chick I know, if she's in her 20s or late teens, reasonably attractive and not fat, everybody is going out of their way to help her. Everybody is going out of their way to, to hire her, to give her a good lazy girl job. <laughs> <laughs> and these chicks are getting a really harsh dose of reality in their thirties. Um, and, uh, and I think this girl is only in her like mid thirties, um, getting a really harsh dose of reality that there's just not much left. They blew it. They, uh, they had their chance in their early twenties and they could not process all the attention they were getting. And so it caused them to make terrible decisions. And now they're facing the consequences and there's no do overs. It's just really tragic. Do you think history will will record the birth control pill or social media as the worst invention to women uh, to be presented to them? Which technology do you think is going to go down as one? Oh, definitely social media. Um, birth control pill. I mean, I know it's a big deal because it's so easy um, and, and then girls don't have to use like condoms or anything. But I think there have been, haven't there been like stand-ins for uh, prophylactics and stuff over, over time. And so like they've had runs of this before. And, and I mean, any girl actually, usually any girl in her fertile years knows when she's fertile through her cycle and she knows when she's likely to get pregnant and not. Um, and so they've had ways of, of having relatively low risk sex, um, at least for, in terms of getting pregnant, no STD is a different story, but that's my take. Um, yes and no to everything you just said there. Um, I don't want to go too down, too far down that rabbit hole, but um, it doesn't take much to throw a woman off her cycle. So the idea that she can track it by being in tune with her body and all that, it's true. But all you need to do is bring a menstruating woman into the room and all of a sudden, or over to your house to visit, and all of a sudden her cycle's off. Um, go on deployment with a bunch of women and you'll see. They never, like, my, my first deployment was in 2003. And we had six or seven females with us. And for like the first couple months, they just never stopped bleeding because one would start. And then as soon as she'd stop, another one would start up and bring them all back. Like you can screw that up real easily with just stress or other, or other women, which is the same thing as stress to a woman. Um, the other part about that is nothing was ever as effective as birth control. So just a quick example is if you track the, the, the usage of birth control alongside the divorce rate, they go very much hand in hand. Uh, so that was definitely a nuclear bomb on society, but social media might be the thermonuclear bomb because um, it's given 
it's removed women from reality. Uh, a lot of other podcasters bring this up constantly is that it, back in the day, you know, in the ancient days of 2000s, uh, the early 2000s, women still had to know who was in their city. And even with online dating, maybe you could get a little bit more access to um, people that were in your town, but it was basically the only people that were in your driving range, people that you uh, interacted with in your apartment complex at work or that you met at the bars or met through friends, but it was all through personal interaction. Social media exploded it to global attention now. And I mean, you just get nonstop attention, even when you're a, a just a woman who's a three or a four, there's constant attention coming at you from men all the time that it's totally warped their sense of reality. It's totally warped their sense of value and how good looking they are and what they deserve. Add into that all the, um, the feminist propaganda across social media. It's, it's totally removed them from, from reality. So uh, between the two, I think you're right. Social media is worse, but only just barely. The birth control pill itself is, I think we still don't understand the effects of it. Definitely. Yeah. And funny you mentioned that I, as you said it, I realized back in college, I remember how difficult it was predicting when my girlfriend would have her period because <laughs> she, you know, she was on a, a female sports team. And so um, just constant uh, disruptions to her cycle versus like, if you have a, a stay at home mom, right, she's relatively isolated from other women, at least in terms of like significant exposure and relatively stable lifestyle in terms of stress and such. Um, so uh, quite a different situation there, I think. But um, uh, yeah, I think of, it's what's the guy's name? Uh, Roosh. Roosh had this article. Are you familiar with him? No, I may have seen a couple of retweets, but nothing comes to mind. He's one of these like original Manosphere guys. Like, um, uh, But he, he did this hard shift where he, you know, was very carnal and, uh, you know, banging chicks all the time and then went 180 degrees the opposite direction, went Eastern Orthodox and grew a really long beard, went lived on a mountain and, and repented for years. <laughs> and uh, um, he, uh, he has this interesting article about just visualizing how many chicks are hitting on a dude in a period of time throughout history. And he shows like some long time ago, say, I don't know, a thousand years ago. And it's like, you know, a little pocket of dudes, like call them 15 dudes hit on a chick within a, you know, a month. Um, and then uh, like 20 years ago or 40 years ago, um, the amount of chicks who are the amount of dudes will hit on a chick village or her town in a month is like, I don't know, a hundred or 200. Uh, and then now it shows just like this sea of men with instant access to her. <laughs> and then she can video chat with them and, and uh, you know, only fans with them and such. And just how it really drives home the point of like, how can a woman process that much direct sexual attention from a man on that kind of scale on that many men you know when it's like it goes from something like you know 15 or 20 men a month who are who are making passes that are interested in her in some way and she reg registers that in her in her hindbrain to now thousands of men a month um and then what that does month after month after month uh is <laughs> it really drives some of the point of like how bad Social media just mind fucked women. Well, it's basically celebrity status, right? So again, think back over the last 40, 50 years. What happens when somebody becomes a celebrity out of nowhere? The overnight celebrities, the one hit wonders. I mean, just 
they go on these benders of drinking and, and they wind up getting in, in accidents and getting arrested, rehab, in and out of rehab constantly. Or you see the child actors like uh, back in the early 80s when they had um, the, the Disney Channel, um, all the Disney Channel kids when they grew up in the 90s and early 2000s. You know, Britney Spears and the rest of them, they all went, went through this insane phase because now they were adults with tons of money and fame. And what do you do? You do drugs and go nuts. Every one of them did the same thing. Um, they, they, everybody, every celebrity goes through their Elvis Presley phase in life. And either they, hopefully they don't wind up like Elvis face down in a toilet. Um, or they, they get through it, get through all the embarrassing photos, the paparazzi, and eventually stabilize on the other end. But, I mean, you could just list child star after child star. They all go through it. Um, and a lot of the, the adult stars go through it as well. <clears throat> it's the same thing now. These women have basically become a celebrity in their own bubble. Because, it, you know, thousands of guys coming after you, you're a celebrity, right? You don't have to be one uh, known worldwide, but in your world, in her world, she is a celebrity. And what do you do with that power? They just, they lose their minds. You know, I, I mean, on the flip side, what would you do if you had a thousand or two thousand women a month throwing themselves at you? How would you process that? What would that do to your marriage? What would that do to your work? You know, how much work would you be getting done? Like, what would that do to your life if you had the possibility of choosing between a thousand women a month? Yeah, I yeah, totally see your point. I mean, I think it just further makes the point that women are just on a uh, a runaway train towards just constant psychological problems. Um, speaking of which, we were chatting before we hit record, and I was just thinking about. Um, how much day-to-day -day support the women I know need in terms of emotional and psychological support to get through their lives. And uh, <laughs> I'm just laughing because it, you're going to think I messed up or something, but um, I, I just have this idea that the last thing a, a girl ever wants from you is for you to take her seriously. So for example, like whenever I've had a girl upset about something, I, I just start laughing. <laughs> and it just seems like so cute and funny to me. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when my son gets upset that I don't know like uh, I, I can't think of a good example but um I don't know if we're like racing his cars down the driveway or something and, and one of his cars crashes and he's upset about it <laughs> it's just so funny to me <laughs> and then of course she goes it, it, like the the reaction that you get from her it would really bend your brain because uh first she doesn't know what to do about it she's like she almost goes ballistic she's like why do you think this is funny um, which then escalates and then I laugh more. Um, and then eventually this is a really weird thing, uh, that I didn't understand until maybe a little bit ago is, uh, is that for some reason that works out in her brain as to it's okay. He's got this under control and she's totally fine with it. And, and it's like complete situation averted. Whereas if I took her seriously, then it escalates in a very real way, in a very damaging way that that she registers somewhere in her hindbrain for a long time to come. And it's like, I've lost a few points in her brain or in her, in her, on her scoreboard when I do it that way. God, there, you know, there is something to that. There definitely is. It's, um, there was a tweet I saw a couple of days ago. I really wish I could remember the name of the woman who sent it out, but she said something to the effect of when a woman's faced with a problem, she needs to panic about it. I don't know what the evolutionary reasoning behind that is, but, she, there's a problem. She's got to panic about it. The reason she's mad at you, the man, is because you're not panicking about it. She thinks that you're not taking it seriously. You need to panic about it. Whereas instead, you're just going to solve it, or in your case, laugh and solve it. And eventually it works itself out. Now, the smarter women 
will do exactly what you say. They'll they'll see your response and go, oh, he's got this. Now the up the rest of the women, and maybe not, maybe it's not a smarter thing. Maybe it's just that they they're with an incompetent husband. But um, they they if you're not panicking, they panic more. Um, so I guess I could actually I could see the other side of that. If a woman is married to an incompetent man, which we know plenty of examples of that, if he's not panicking alongside of her, she's going to panic more because she he doesn't have it. So your laughter technique might be perfect, um, especially for men who do know what they're doing, right? Um, God, the worst thing you could be in a marriage is an incompetent man. That's that's for sure. You that that's just unacceptable on all levels. But for any man who's got his shit together. I think your laughing technique is actually going to be one of the go-tos, uh, first responses, because it does tell her, I've got this covered. You can go panic in the corner or you can go relax. Yeah. And I, I should say, I've been really trying to work on the laughing thing. It's just, it's just so, I mean, when you want to laugh, it's really hard not to laugh. <laughs> well, the, what's worse than that, do you, do you ever get a la- something that triggers you so much that you, when you start laughing, you can't stop? Because there'll be things that happen to me, and my my wife can sometimes she can do this to me on purpose even. Um, but I'll laugh so hard that I just I laugh until I cry, until I'm out of breath, and I'm like gasping and sobbing. I'm laughing so hard that I I mean complete loss of control, and um, uh, I just can't can't keep my bearing at all because I'm laughing so hard. And she can do that to me on purpose now. About once a week, she makes me laugh that hard. But there are some situations, like I've had ex-girlfriends throw me out of the car because I was laughing at them so hard. And they're like, you need to stop laughing. And it's like, <laughs> I can't. Now I'm sobbing. Now I'm laughing so hard I'm sobbing. I, and I'm uncontrollable. And I just open the door and roll out of the car. And they drive <laughs> off. Like that, That's happened to me more than once. <laughs> that's pretty good. She's She's left you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely had that happen, especially if like I've gone through a long period of just a lot of stress I've been dealing with and haven't had any sort of sort of like catharsis in the meantime, and then something just sets you off that's hilarious, and then it all comes out at once. Um, but uh, I should say I've been really trying to work on the laughing thing, uh, and because okay, here's what I figured out is as I've adapted to it, if I let her think I'm taking her seriously for 30 seconds and I just let her say whatever she wants and I can keep a straight face, uh, it reduces the magnitude of her reaction. And then the laughing soothes her instead of escalating and then soothing her. (laughs) So I'm making incremental improvements, but it's still just freaking hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and here's again, the dichotomy of women somewhere deep down, they don't want to be taken seriously. Like you said, it's not that they don't want to be taken seriously. It's that they want to know that you have control. And in your case, you demonstrate that by not taking them that seriously, but they still want your respect. Right. And that's, that's the dichotomy of it. It's it. And it seems like a contradiction, but they want to know you have control. They want to know you're going to solve the problem and they want to know that you still have respect for her. Um, and that's the biggest thing. And that, that's where a lot of this, all this feminism nonsense and attacking the patriarchy and rah, rah, rah stuff is that they don't want to act like men, but they want to still have the respect of the men. And at the very least, they want the respect of the men. In their lives. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to, it, it can be hard for a man to respect her when she's flying off the handle and panicking about. So yeah, take that for what it's worth. The thing that I've seen is, is maybe not... I haven't seen respect as much matter to women. I think that's more of a male currency. 
um, and, and women can sense when men don't respect each other, right? Or one man doesn't respect another man. But I don't see, I haven't seen a lot of women care as much about them being directly respected as they, and maybe, maybe this is just a difference in terms, but they want to know that you care for them and that you're going to take care of them. That's what is critically important to them. Um, I, I don't see it as much, at least in terms of what I think of as respect, the way I, I would define it between men, but that you deeply care for them and they don't have to worry about, you know, that, that you're going to bail on them or something. So I think we're, we're using different words for the same thing. And you're right. It's not respect as you would hold it for a man, but respect as you would hold it for a woman, which involves caring for her and taking care of her. And there, there are things like you wouldn't hit on another woman in front of your wife. That's disrespectful. You, you, you wouldn't hit on another woman, period. That's disrespectful to your wife. Uh, you wouldn't talk down to her at a party and humiliate her. That's that. That's what I mean by being disrespectful or respecting her, right? You wouldn't do things that would hurt her in front of other people or deliver, or or even just between the two of you. You wouldn't deliberately hurt her just because you could. You wouldn't humiliate her. You wouldn't do those things. That's the type of respect women generally want. Um, and th there's more to it than that, but uh, trying to keep it. Yeah, definitely uh, respecting her stature in the family and her authority in the family, right? Her her place exactly as, exactly. as the matriarch in the family. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, so I said we we're going to bounce around a bit. This kind of dovetails off that a little bit, but um, I wanted to come back to the whole work from home and um, the wife problems. It, it's so many men. I, I think this started with cell phones, but let me let me start with work from home first. Too many men who are either work from home or Wi-Fi money at home, they're having problems with their wives um, just not being able to problem solve at all. And I, God, we talked about this very early within the first five or six episodes, I think. But got to come back to it because it's this is going to be a constant one for anybody in the Wi-Fi money, work from home uh, sphere, right? Because... The more access a woman has to you, the more she's going to come to you to solve the problems. And um, I think this started with cell phones because it gave instant access, instant communication to you. But now that you're there in the house, you're 24 seven available. There's no reason for her to think anymore. She can just go to you for every problem, which is infuriating to men. But the, there's a flip side to that, which is um, it, it, be careful what you wish for. Okay. A lot of men who want to go back to the trad trad households, um, you know, the trad cons, and th these men who want traditional traditional wives and whatnot, um, you want obedience out of your wife. That's what they're saying. They want her to be obedient. He makes the decisions, etc. Well, careful what you wish for, because when you're telling a woman you're going to follow my lead, you're going to do what I say, and you're not going to question me, if she agrees to that, what she is agreeing to is you're going to be right 100% of the time. And I'm going to hold you to that. So when you get that agreement with a woman and then you're available 24 seven, you signed up for her to come to you with every single problem, because that's what you promised her with that obedience. Um, and even if that's not what you bargained for, that's generally what women are looking for in a man is, that, you know, just like you were, you're talking about two minutes ago about, um, being able to handle her problems what, when she comes to you with an emergency, you, you've got it solved. So every time you show her that you can solve a problem, you're validating her choice in you, right? You're, that's, it's a good thing in her eyes because 
you've shown her you're competent, you've shown her you're capable, and that you will solve all the problems. The problem now becomes you're available 24-7, therefore, you're going to solve every single problem. Yeah, and case in point, I had a, had a girlfriend several years ago um, who became just incredibly codependent, could not do anything without me, and could do anything at all, really. I mean, she was able to get up and go to work, but it was a different situation where, you know, I was worked from home. She was not, but she still fell into the land that I, I can't, I, <laughs> I can't do anything without um, him, right? He does everything for me. And uh, she couldn't make a decision on her own, anything like that. And so uh, it became really problematic for us. And probably was the primary reason we broke up. I got a funny text from her a couple of years later, just out of the blue. And for a long time, she couldn't talk to me because it was so devastating. The breakup was so devastating to her. But I got a random text out of the blue saying, I get it now. I see why you left. I'm, I'm a much better person now. I've, I've recovered and become like a functional adult again. <laughs> and I don't, hold, I don't blame you for anything. I, I totally understand why you left. Um, so the thing that I'm thinking about now is, gosh, if, if you're not working out of the house or you don't have a typical you know, masculine uh, how do you prevent that dynamic from forming um, in, in, in a near-term relationship? Well, the first step is always good mate selection, right? Picking a good woman. Uh, and I don't have a good set of, uh, I don't have a good answer as to how to do that, right? So I'm going to skip that step at the moment because that's a, a huge one on its own. But let's assume you have a decent woman you, and you have good communication with her. Good communication is two-way you can say something to her and she can hear it and not fly off the handle. And you can communicate your, your intent or your need to her clearly in a way that she understands. Um, so I'll give you an example on, on that one. Um, probably about 10, 10, 11 years ago, um, when I was early in my marriage, we were just starting with our first business. So we had, we had I think we only had one business when this happened. Um, I was working in law enforcement and I was in a, a reserve component of the military. So I had two, two jobs plus uh, the business and then my wife. My phone was exploding all the time, just text message all the time. And, and um, to the point that my blood pressure was going through the roof, my heart rate was up. Like I sit down and, and feel my pulse when I go to bed and I couldn't feel it because it was just running so fast. It, it was just, just flying off the handle. And I realized like, this is going to be an early grave for me. So I shut off all notifications on my phone. And then I told my wife, I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't have, because she was one factor of like, she, she was, it wasn't solely her. It was, it was all these things added together, but she was running the business uh, at this point. And every single thought that went through her head became a text message um, to the, like everything. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I said, there's no more text messaging. You're going to have to call me if there's a problem and only if it's a problem worth calling me for. And that took a little bit to figure out, right? She had to, because we did have a lot of money in this business and she did not want to run it into the ground. So part of, part of this was her fear of ruining something on ruining this one. So we kind of established a certain leeway of mistakes that she can make too, that I would not get angry. Um, and that took some time to figure out, but we, we established that we established boundaries so that she only called me when it was a legit emergency or it would wait. And then even now today, um, 
I have the ability to tell her when she comes to me with problems that I can say, hey, unless it's emergency, not right now. I'm not in a mental or emotional space to deal with a problem because I'm dealing with something on my writing or I'm exhausted from working on the farm or something, right? Uh, it took time to cultivate that. But the bottom line is, uh, is we established left and right limits for her to make decisions on the business. And, and this, this applies in personal life, right? Even if your wife is just a stay at home wife dealing with kids, you can establish left and right limits that says, you know, if you make certain decisions within here, I promise I will not get mad at you, even if it's not the decision I would have made, um, which gives her the freedom and the, the lack of stress to make those decisions and be confident in, uh, and then it leaves only the bigger issues to be dealt with as needed and actual emergencies are what interrupts you. Um, but it's not, that is not an overnight process. Yeah, good points. I, the thing that jumps out at me is, and having recently gone through a pretty tough time, um, just, you know, with launching a business and uh, just a lot of other hurdles and things to overcome is just, you don't have, uh, you don't have the leeway to let her screw up a lot of things. And so you have to, you have to, you have to make a lot of decisions for her, right? Whereas, you know, in under normal times, she's going to screw stuff up and that's okay. It doesn't matter. Not a big deal. Um, but there were times where it was like, hey, we, you know, we can't really, that's going to be a pretty uh, painful mistake. <laughs> and so I can't let her make it, you know? And so, yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely, the situation required me to be exert a lot more control and, and micromanage a lot more than I ever want to. Or um, So maybe that's a situation that will remedy itself. Uh, over time as, as you know we get through kind of um, some of the slimmer periods but uh, the other thing that I was thinking about is uh, after that prior relationship I mentioned I had the ex-girlfriend syndrome about selecting for a very emotionally stable capable self-starter and uh, ex-girlfriend syndrome is whatever caused you to break up with the prior girlfriend is now front and center for avoiding in the next girl <laughs> to the detriment of all the other things that also matter, right? Uh, they just kind of like fall away. And, and the one that you focus on is whatever caused the last breakup. It's basically just a recency bias. So I, uh, I was very focused on that um, for selecting for, you know, a very emotionally stable, uh, rational, not neurotic, <laughs> capable self-starter. But pre-kid is very different than post-kid. Post-kid under a lot of stress, um, with a lot of stress from my business, uh, definitely changes the dynamic and makes makes her much more cling to you much more tightly um, and defer to you about a lot a lot of things. So that that was definitely a factor. But I've noticed that I think there's aside from you know the situation kind of mitigating itself uh, as we get through this kind of lean period uh, and stressful period is that if I can just manage to be out of the house for a significant portion of the day, but still available. So that she doesn't have the stress of like, oh man, I, if I, if I can't handle it, we're screwed. I can still come home and, and help her. Um, but for the most part, she's got a lot of leeway to make her own decisions and manage her own situations. I think that'll help a lot. Yeah. And this is, so if you're, for somebody who's listening right now, if you're about to start a business, right. And you're starting a business or you're in the infancy of your business and you're no longer working a W2 job and you're, you're reliant on the business, try to look ahead and say, okay, if we're going to have a kid now, this is a very financially stressful time to do it because I'm in the startup phase of a business. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, what kind of support do we have? 
Are there, is there family nearby? Yes or no. Is that family a help or a hindrance, right? Because if you have a neurotic mother who's going to, or, or a neurotic mother-in-law who's just going to come over and make the situation worse, um, you know, that, that's another factor. So you have to look at what is the support system that's available. Are you the only support system or is there reliable friends and family? Does she have any family nearby or any friends nearby who have younger kids that are going to be an asset? Um, are her friends the type of friends that you, you know, are a bad influence and you actually need to keep her away from because they're going to make the situation worse? You have to you know, look forward at all these things to, to kind of stage them out and plan them to understand what you're getting into. A lot of guys don't think of that, um, especially because so many couples do not take an honest assessment of their own parents and the interaction of their parents with their husband or wife. So you have to really look and say, um, you know, are, are they going to be a help or a hindrance? Because, oh, and, and look at her mother too, because it is her mother make her bring out the best in her or bring out the worst in her. Uh, very often now, especially with the boomer parents, um, the mother is just a, a absolute nightmare that makes everything worse. So take all of that into consideration to prepare yourself for what's coming, to know if you're going to have to deal with this or not. And then, um, do you have the availability to rent an office space? Do you have a, a place to remove yourself from the home for a couple of hours a day to work on the business, whether it's a Wi-Fi business or an IRL business, um, to where you're separated from her? And she's got, a, you know, you've got a couple hours just to focus on the business unless it's a legit emergency. Uh, think ahead on all that stuff so that you're not caught off guard and making it up as you go. Yeah, I definitely had to react to a few things as we went and um, certainly it's nobody's job to warn me of these things, but I was surprised that nobody made this point to me before we had kids. Um, having family nearby may make the situation worse. As you mentioned, my family makes things worse. Uh, her family makes things better, except <laughs> as if there weren't enough contradictions in women, except that she dreads the constraints and expectations imposed by her family. <laughs> so they help us a lot in terms of, you know, relieving the burden of the kids, but um, but it causes her more stress and, and drama that then she has to have an outlet for. Uh, so, you know, it's a mixed bag, but uh, yeah, great points. I mean, these are all things that the millennials are dealing with for sure. Uh, also kind of made me recognize that, well, especially this week, I, I mean, I love my family, but um, I get why men like expeditions and deployments and business trips. Your mission is essential to your, your self-improvement time is essential to to your way um and uh it, you have to have that time to pursue things that are fundamental and critical to a man's self-worth or it builds it builds and it was creating a lot of anger issues for me um not that it would boil it over in any significant way but just i was noticing i was i was cussing a lot i was angry at random things like inanimate objects <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah I, I know exactly what you're talking about I, and it's, I never I, I have I've never had a problem with like exploding at people I just don't it's it's just not how I'm wired but I can explode at inanimate objects <laughs> uh, but it just really drives home the point that for me I think I think the gym is a sacred space for men uh, the other uh, the other sacred space for men is your male honor group, whatever that is, whether it's your SEAL team buddies or your gang or your sparring partners, whatever. Um, but you have to have these sacred spaces or it will boil over and over. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the gym is a good daily outlet. Sometimes it's not enough. 
Um, and this is why like organized hunting trips are good and going on a, a week long, a bunch of guys going out for a week long or two week long hunting up in the mountains and camping out, um, fishing trips, things of that nature, because it's a way to re refocus with men. You know, and it brings us back to our, our hunter gatherer roots. Um, I don't know what the flip side of that is for women, how they recage. I imagine it has something to do with uh, doilies and brunches and other, other women, but um, I don't know how they do it, but there's gotta be something on both ends um, because it does you no good to go out and recage yourself to come home to a wife who's a neurotic mess. There's gotta be a way for her to re refocus too. And I think we've lost a lot of that, especially in the suburbs because there's no break anymore. There's no, um, it's just the same mundane thing, nine to five, weekend sports ball, beer, and back at it again. It's strange how, you know, what, what men used to do to bond over was doing stuff, and now they watch other people do stuff. It's, it's pathetic to me. I mean, um, I think one of the biggest casualties of feminism is there are no more male spaces, and those male spaces are the foundation of civilization. You can draw a straight line between the quality and prevalence of these manorbund groups and the, the future quality of a civilization. And so now we have all these, you know, fat beer drinking, um, feminized men watching sports all day and, and not doing anything real with their lives. And of course that's how the elites want it, right? They, they want you easy to control and, and masculinity is, um, is notoriously hard to control. Uh, so yeah, I get that a lot of it's driven top down, but, um, I think you're seeing these these male honor groups reemerge and reforming, and that's that's something that I think gives me a lot of promise. Yeah, it's it's funny too because when men were trying to advocate for male only gyms, they were misogynistic and and horrible and evil and whatnot. And now women are, are crying about being oogled too much at the gym, so they want female gyms. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care what the excuse is, but let's go ahead and separate. Let's wherever possible let's set up male and female gyms and other spaces accordingly um because the, this integration is not working it's making things worse it's not about discrimination it's not about denying a service or, or a gym or some other thing to women it's not about that it's just that men need a space to be men they need to recage themselves they need that masculinity and by feminizing men to make women more comfortable everybody loses very clearly everybody yep absolutely um people have completely forgotten how much having even one woman enter a space changes the dynamics of that space going to the gym now makes me really angry it's no different than a nightclub it's cheap transactional um it's just a mating dance now in a different environment uh and and it really throws off everything you're trying to do um to the point where as you're, as you're working out, you really have to just wear a hat and look down because there's going to be a chick working out straight across from you. And she's got a massive camel toe in her, in her skin tight outfit. Um, and it's just it, like, that is not, that does not need to be there. Um, uh, right. I, I love women. I've got no problem being attracted to women. That is not my goal there. <laughs> I want that out of my face. It's so funny the way you said it's a, a new mating dance. <laughs> What's What's making me laugh about this is so the the gym I have in my town, tiny town, you know, only a couple thousand people here. What I noticed is when I when I went to the gym before noon, between eleven and twelve, the place fills up with all the scuzzy boomers, and they're like walking on treadmills and jeans. But 
the, the so the, the running joke in town um every day at noon the uh fire alarm goes off the uh fire station runs its alarm as a test and everybody says liquor store is open because the liquor store opens at noon and that's when the gym clears out of all these scuzzy boomers all the all the day drunks and whatnot are heading over to the liquor store but while that's going on <clears throat> all these old scuzzy boomers are male and females and they're hitting on each other and they're checking each other out it's so freaking gross and because it's not just that they're old gross drunks it's that they're boomer old gross drunks but it's the same shit it's it's a mating dance at the gym waiting for the liquor store to open so yeah that's my world uh, every time i go just there's some things that really really drive home the point that are like milestones for how quickly civilization is is going into the crapper one of the ones i use is the change in outfits between um <laughs> between gym visits and and okay maybe this is a ding on me but you know, when the kiddo was younger, I didn't get to the gym a lot. It was just really, really hard. Um, and, uh, and so it was like, I was lucky to get there once a month, but in the one month breaks between gym visits, uh, <laughs> I could see a substantial change in the, in women's clothing. Uh, it was every single time I was just, I got to where I, I just had to come back and remark about it to the wife, <laughs> which of course <laughs> she wasn't happy about, but <laughs> it was just my, my one moment event. Um, and, uh, I just couldn't believe how fast time was changing and it made me feel like a boomer. Yeah, well, what gets me, it's like, like, there's some women who obviously are doing this for the attention, right? They, they're in the gym in their underwear, essentially, they call it athletic clothing, but it's underwear. And some of them are clearly doing it for attention, but there's others that are genuinely 100% oblivious to the fact that they're working out in their underwear and that that's inappropriate. Like the, <clears throat> you have no clothes on and they don't know that that's a bad thing. That's how clueless they are. And it, it, that's what gets me. It's like, I get the ones that are grifting and just looking for the attention. I understand where that's coming from, but it's like, how do you not know that all that skin showing is going to attract bad attention that you don't want? Uh, I, I don't think there's something in a woman's brain that connects attention with something they don't want. I, I think, I think that's just nowhere in their brain. I think attention is good in their brain. <laughs> um, two, two points uh, that come to mind. One is the thing that surprised me recently is not just the skin tight outfits, but the sort of see-through outfits. That was, that was kind of new for me. And I know they did this before with like the Lululemon ones that would, were see-through when you bend over, but now they're like, now they're like intentionally see-through. They're not just, um, you know, plausible deniability uh, see-through. It's, that they actually meant, but is plausibly deniable. Now it's it's literally they're they're accepting that they're see through and everybody knows and it's just commonly acknowledged. But um, along those lines, my second point was if you're in Miami, uh, you know, like Miami's super like beach wear central, right? And uh, uh, I remember walking by some of the boutiques uh, back maybe a year ago or something, and I noticed on the mannequins this really peculiar thing. It was it was uh, women's swimsuits that clearly had some sort of malfunction built into them that gave them plausible deniability. And it was like, usually in the crotch region, you were like, I'm pretty sure any sort of physical movement is going to create some sort of like slip. Um, and it was, it was definitely intentional. Like there's no mistaking it. I just remember thinking, wow, that's uh, I'm going to put that on the calendar. That's definitely one of those markers of, of uh, downfall of the civilization. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, for as much as I love seeing any of those types of things on my wife at home behind closed doors where it's only me seeing it, like 
this is not a good thing to be out there in public. Uh, and it's so obviously not good. And it just falls in hand in hand with the with all the porn that's out there and the OnlyFans. And it's, it's like you said, the there's something genetic for most women where attention is good. Right up until it's it's coming from a creepy guy and their creeper alarm goes off. But there's no correlation between attention good and the creeper attention bad coming from the same source. There's no correlation that that's happening. And um, this is a big fault, especially in liberal women, which is they can't differentiate between what they think the world should be and the way the world is. They, they clearly cannot because you always hear them say, I should be able to wear this and not be harassed. Like, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, but you can't. Somebody's going to harass you on that. Somebody's going to stare at you. Lots of somebody's going to stare at you in those clothes. And some sociopath is going to come after you. That's reality. Should or shouldn't doesn't come into uh, play here because this will happen. But they can't differentiate that. And what's worse is when you try to explain that, the words they hear are, you deserve what happens to you. It's like, that's not what I'm saying at all. That, that, some, some red pill assholes will say that to you, but I am not saying that at all. I'm just telling you this will happen. That's not the same as deserves. <laughs> Cracks me up when you when you actually pay attention to the like the verbiage differences between men and women. Men or women will use the words like should or shouldn't, um, and men will use the terms like is or isn't or will or won't. <laughs> it's just difference. But the uh, uh, kind of a white pill on the gym note is my buddy just recently started hitting the gym pretty hard. Um, and he's grappling a bunch and it's awesome. And he's just like completely turned his life around. He was this kind of skinny dork for a while and uh, um, was really down on his, in his marriage and stuff. And uh, just like, like hit rock bottom with his wife. And then he just decided, you know what, I'm going to pick myself up. And he's been just kicking butt for like the last six months. He's just absolutely cut now. Um, and I, I was kind of jealous. I was kind of okay, impressed and a little jealous. Um, and uh, he just already has like shoulder caps, you know, on his deltoids and stuff. And uh, that was just in six months, just in six months. And he's like studly now, studly. Went from like, eh, I, I can't see a lot of chicks being that into it to being like, holy crap, this dude just hit the prime of his life. And he's not super high testosterone either. He's like 400, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, for being, um, you know, a, a millennial era generation, like to be able to put on that much muscle that fast for having been a you know a lifelong skinny dork, um, for lack of a better term, uh, you know I love me my friend, uh, but he, I think you would readily acknowledge that um, it was just a really inspiring transformation in just six months. You know he went from rock bottom with his family uh, to being like you know what I'm gonna I'm I'm just gonna kick ass and take names and he did it. So that's that's the real male privilege right there, is the ability to change your body so fast. Um, all things being equal, a man can go from being obese and flabby or skinny fat to muscly, um, two to three times faster than a woman with the same, you know, diet and exercise routines. Like that is the real male privilege is that men can get there so much faster, which means why are so many men fat? It is a choice, you know, um, I'm not going to get down the rabbit hole on women, uh, just the TLDR is there's enough endocrine disruptor things out there and hormonal issues that are coming from unknown sources that women definitely have a 
a harder time getting there or enough women do enough women do uh but men have almost nothing in their way to achieve physical greatness other than dedication discipline of food and time and they can get there so fast so why are so many men flabby yeah because we feminize society we defeated men i've never seen maybe i mentioned this before but you know you see if you look at japanese culture german culture you know these great civilizations had great warrior traditions um they had to be physically conquered and they had to have entire generations of men wiped out before they could they you know became feminized um and uh and castrated uh we did it in america without even being we did it to ourselves i i it's just so astounding and so humiliating for our ancestors uh, so I think we owe it to everybody down down line of us to turn it around. Yeah, have more kids. So um, we're not going to get into it this episode. Maybe next one. It is something I want to talk about is uh, because it kind of relates to this is why my wife and I chose to leave the Dinkwad lifestyle. Dinkwad being uh, double income, no kids with a dog, and now we're in our forties, going through IVF, trying to have a kid. Um, but that's, I think, going to be a podcast and all. It's a lot to talk about what made us genuinely change about children. So um, I think we're going to call this episode here. We're going to put a pin in that topic and bring it in next week or the week after. We'll uh, kind of see when we have time for that. But um, you got anything you want to add? Any, any final thoughts of all the stuff we talked about? Not really. Just really want to end on that note that... Um... My buddy just really turned his life around in six months, and I couldn't I couldn't be more proud of him. It's just really excited and and inspired me to do the same. Yeah, no, I I love seeing that, especially on Twitter. Um, you see the the success stories. You see a little bit on TikTok, but those tend to get suppressed. But uh, Twitter is really good about at least the people I follow are really good about showing the success story. God, I really want to encourage any man out there because in six months you can physically turn your life around, and within a year you can. Um, you could be a freaking demigod, but it just requires food discipline. You know, be disciplined about what you shove in your mouth, exercise consistently. You don't even have to go crazy. You don't have to be four hours at the gym, just one hour at a time, even a little less, even four or five days a week. And you can totally turn your fucking physical, physically turn your life around. Um, always encouraging them to do that. Always want to see that. It's really good to see. Uh, so with that, we're going to wrap this episode here. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wi-Fi underscore pioneers or on Substack, Wi-Fi pioneers Substack. Let us know what you think. Uh, leave a comment, share, subscribe, all the, all the normal good stuff. Uh, we definitely want to hear from you and hear your thoughts and commentary about anything we've covered. So with that, have a good weekend. And remember, nobody's coming to save you. It's up to you to save yourselves.